Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos, and today I have, once again, Andrew Roth. Thank you for coming again, Andrew. I appreciate it. We have a great topic to talk about today. Yep, I'm so looking forward to this. This is one of the big mystery of the ages. Mm-hmm. And so, so you need to unpack it. We do, yes. And it's been it's been a great conversation that we've had so far. And then but just to remind everyone, Andrew is a Bible translator. He uh, specializes in Hebrew and Aramaic. He's right. also a Torah teacher, and he is an author, and he's also the founder of One Faith, One People Ministries, and, and I'll leave links and everything to his website. But today we're going to talk about the Star of Bethlehem, and it's a fascinating subject, and there's lots of different views on it. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, what got you started into looking at the Star of Bethlehem? What made you want to figure all this out and and kind of put it all together for people? Well, basically, and that's a great question, Stephanie. I've been interested in biblical chronology since I was a young man. You know, some of us are kind of numbers guys, dates guys, and what I am. So. I was, I've been trying to figure out the day of the Exodus, the day of the flood. You know, th- this has always been my bent. And as long as I felt I could back it up with historical evidence, you know, people were pretty much saying, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. But when I asked some folks about the Star of Bethlehem, I asked the professional historians and I went to astronomers at like the Griffith Observ- Observatory in uh, outside of Los Angeles because they would do those Star of Bethlehem shows. What did they think? You know, the answer I got back was somewhere between 7 BC and 1 BC. I'm like, six years? Seriously? The birth of the Messiah, the best you can do is six years? And they basically said, well, if you think you can do better, have at it. I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) I'm picking up that gauntlet, man. uh, And I was just using the same techniques that I would use for determining these other dates. Mm -hmm. Basically, what ended up happening on my journey, I needed to get a schooling in astronomy. I mean, I'm a Bible guy. I'm an Aramaic and Hebrew guy. I'm not necessarily an astronomer. So, But I found somebody who has had regrettably passed away in 2021. His name is Bill Welker. And this guy basically worked for the Department of Defense and NASA uh, on satellite technology. And he has super high-tech stuff that the general public doesn't have. Okay. This is a guy who can build telescopes in his spare time from scratch. Yeah. Okay. He's not going over to Radio Shack and getting that. He's actually, no, I'll just put it together myself. Right. Uh, And he schooled me. In what was fixed stars and what are what are moving stars, why a planet was classified as a kind of a star, and that created some confusion, and so on and so forth. And basically what ended up happening was that using all my skill as a translator, I'm looking at manuscripts. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Hebrew. I'm looking at Aramaic. I'm, I'm looking at Josephus. You know, I'm trying to piece together everything I can. Right. And what happened was the literary approach got me within four to five days of the birth. Mm. And I'm thinking that's way better than six years, right? Yeah. So that, that, I'm happy. I knew it had to be after Yom Kippur, but before, the st- you know, but but uh, by the first night, rather, of Sukkot, right? I knew it had to be that range. But I didn't know which of those days it was going to be because I, I, that was that was as far as I could go. So I asked him, I said, Bill, was there anything special, astronomically speaking, that happened on one of these five nights in 5 BC that would stand out and go, oh, of these five days, this one, this is the one. Right. And he said, it might take me a few months, but I'll get back to you. When he got back to me, he said, that on the first night of Sukkot, which was Friday, September 13th, in 5 BCE, 
And that's again on my calendar, a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a super lunar eclipse. And and that lunar eclipse lasted two and a half hours right over Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Wow. That very long lunar eclipse. And then the clincher was, he says, Andrew, do you know what kind of lunar eclipse that was? I said, no. I said, the only thing you taught me was that lunar eclipses only happen at full moon. And I know that this is a full moon day because this is the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, yeah. But the positioning of everything, when you look at it in the computer, they blocked out all, it blocked out all the blue light. I said, Mm -hmm. okay. And what does that mean? And he said, yeah, that means the only thing left was red. This was a blood moon. This was a massive blood moon. And he sent me a picture of the kind of blood moon that it was that wow. he photographed himself. And it was it looked like a huge drop of deep red blood in the sky. Wow. You know, uh, in addition to having Jupiter doing its thing. Mm-hmm. That was sort of, uh, you know, uh, the, the overall process you know, how I got into it and what drove me. And what I found, Stephanie, and we can get into this, is Mm -hmm. if your premise is sound and if it's biblically based, if you're on the right track, other stuff that you can't even imagine will naturally fall into place and and keep confirming it over and over and over again. And it happened with the Star of Bethlehem. Wow. And I just want people to know that what you're going to get today is just a taste because he has this, a two-part video series on his website and they're each like over an hour long. So there's quite a bit of material that you go into quite a bit of science and it's very interesting. Uh, I listened to all but the very last half hour of it, but took lots of notes and we'll give you a taste and you can go back and, and listen to his other recordings on this and, and that you'll get more, you'll get way more than we can give you today in this time that we have, but I want to hit the highlights, especially. Yeah. So we can start with the Magi. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of, I I think the Magi have been one of the most neglected I don't want to say characters. They're not in a in a book or something. They are the, the most neglected people mm-hmm. that are part of the nativity story. Do you know we get the word magic from magi, mm. right? That's, right? That's where magic comes from. Uh, and then we have to figure out who they are. The magi were part of a religion called Zoroastrianism, which is a very mysterious, obscure faith but it has had a huge impact on Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam. And the Zoroastrians, they were looking for the Messiah. And in their scriptures called the Zend Avesta, that's sort of their version of the Bible, it describes that the heavens would point to the Messiah that went and that a special star or a phenomena would point to their west. And they were in Babylon. And by the way, we know that they were in Babylon because all the stuff that we describe in, this, in the video can only be seen from Babylon. Right. Because others have pointed out, well, you had Magi, Zoroastrians in Persia, too. Mm-hmm. So how do you know they didn't come from Persia? It's very simple. You wouldn't have seen this stuff from Persia. And it kind of goes back to the story of Daniel. Yeah. So there. Yes. Because, and, and that's an excellent point, because Daniel is actually called, and I know Christians are not, I'm not exactly comfortable with this. He's called the king of the magicians. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew word for magicians is hartumim. And hartumim also is about classifying things. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this case, like Abraham was told to count the stars, to know how numerous your descendants are going to be. That's what the hartumim do. They would record patterns mm. and so on. And in the uh, the Magi's religion, the Messiah was going to be born uh, in a land to their west, and they were going to track it by the planet of the king, which is Jupiter. Okay. Summarizing a lot of data right there. I know, I know. In the video. 
that's a 20 minute chunk of discussion. <laughs> yes. Why the King stars Jupiter and why they were, they assigned it that and why they were, you know, getting going when they saw something with Jupiter happen and stuff like that. But, and you said that they, they tracked it for two years. So this tra- started way before. You right. Were- yeah. It started in late May of 7 BCE when you had these three conjunctions. A conjunction is when basically two night sky objects appear to become one object. Okay. Some of them are more dramatic than others, you know, and today with our better equipment, we can tell that it didn't really become in many cases like one object, but it was close enough so that the naked eye would go, wow, these two just came together. And when you have a lot of mythology associated with the, with the planets, which were in a different category than the fixed stars that just go up and down like this, but the right. move like this, east to west, west to east. Mm-hmm. Um, you then use that in your fortune telling, for lack of a better thing. So if you know that Jupiter is the star of the king, and this is exactly what the Magi say in Matthew 2, mm-hmm. we have seen the king's star. And we have come to worship him. Yes. That word, that terminology is only talking about an east-west object. And Matthew actually gives you nine details about how this thing moves. Mm. Just listen to what Matthew says. You realize it can't be talking about a fixed star. It can't be talking about a nova. It can't be talking about a comet, right? right? A comet might be the closest thing that fits some of these things because comets also move east to west, west to east, right? And comets can be in the sky for like a year, right? Right. But not two years. Right. You, you see what I'm saying? Right, yes. The thing left is a planet. And the only planets that the ancients could see was those with the naked eye. And there are only five of these. And of those five planets, guess what? The only one that's associated with kingship is Jupiter. Right. So when you see the, the, the planet Jupiter disappear behind the sun, which it does, you know the king is not about to be born. The king is has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Maybe is being born in the womb kind of thing. And then when it a- appears and, and rises just before dawn and comes up from behind the sun and goes west, which is rare, most of the time the stuff is going to go east. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. our position on earth but in this case it seems to do a loop-de-loop and and it's barreling towards israel wow you guys see that it's like hey balshazar let's grab the incense and go you know let's let the, grab the gold and the frankincense and, and, and get out of here and then we can track basically with the regards to the magi how long would have taken them to go from babylon to bethlehem jerusalem well, when we look at details in the book of Ezra, the same road that right. Ezra took is what they would have taken out of Babylon. And in right. that case, it took them four months. Okay. And when you go four months, you know, after you've been tracking for two years, now all of a sudden you, you, you are coming into Jerusalem just as Jupiter and Earth are going the same speed. And that's when it appears to pause over over Bethlehem's. That's interesting. So they're going the same speed. Yes. So to our eyes, it would have looked like it wasn't moving. Yes. And when they get there, you know, and and this is why the term and the star went out before them is so critical. Where were they when the star went out before them? You know, was it moving or was it paused or was it about to move? And these are the kind of things that we have to sort out, uh, bearing in mind our position on the earth and what we could see with the naked eye, mm-hmm. how our culture or our mythology or our religion would have said, okay, the king has come from behind the sun. Uh, it has had a conjunction with the Sabbath planet, the Saturday planet, Saturn's day, Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it's king of the Jews because the Jews are the only ones who keep the Sabbath. And in the constellation of Pisces, uh, three times in five months, you know, it's a pretty big deal because Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. Mm -hmm. 
Pharisees also became associated with with the Jews as well. Okay. So you have a double witness to a Jewish king, and you have three occurrences of these conjunctions on significant dates on the Hebrew calendar. Right. Which the Magi, they had a ton of Jews living in Babylon at this time. Uh, uh, Philo, the historian, says that they was stuffed with Jews. Hmm. Okay. Then Josephus says two of the tribes of Israel were subject to the Romans and the rest were subject to this part of the Middle East. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Which is not just Babylon, but also Assyria and other stuff in the area. But right. the point is not in Rome and not in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Right. So that's how you kind of piece everything together. Since Ezra took four months on the same royal road, so did the Magi. And when they get there is at the exact time that Earth catches up to Jupiter and that makes it appear like it's paused. Mm -hmm. And you did mention in the other videos the first, second, and third conjunction and their significance and the date that they they were there, that they came. Yes. Okay. So the first conjunction. Now, Now, any garden variety conjunction is not a big deal. Let me emphasize that. Once every 20 years or so, mm-hmm. you'll get one of these things. Mm-hmm. It's where it is and then getting it repeated a total of three times in a very compact space. That is so rare, Stephanie. It's only happened once since the time of Christ. Okay. So it's like a 1,400, 1,500, once in, once in a, a millennium and a half event. All right. So here's the dates. May 29th in 7 BC corresponds to the third day of the third month, which is called Sivan. Now, if you look in Exodus 19, what you will find is that that is the day that God descended on Mount Sinai to tell them, the Israelites, get ready. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments in a couple of days. Right. So this was when God, Michael, as you know, we call him Yahweh. That's that's his name. That's That was when he descended in fire to announce the Torah is coming. Right. And who is the Torah made flesh? The word made flesh is the mm-hmm. only begotten son, Yeshua, Jesus. And so the fact that that introductory conjunction is hitting on the same time that he introduced the Torah is highly significant. Right. Then the second one was on October 1st, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Okay. Is is, is the Messiah not our ultimate atonement? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Magi would have seen their massive Jewish population not eat a single bit of food on that day of the calendar which they basically shared the same type of calendar with the Jewish people. Right. So what was the 10th day of the month of Tishri for the Jewish people, which is Yom Kippur, would have been the the 10th day of the month of Tishri 2, which is where Tishri comes from, to the Babylonian Magi. Mm -hmm. So they they know that these are important days. Then the final one comes on the 15th day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now, when I say that, it's not it, it's not as apparent as it is with these other two dates, but it's still important because on the 15th day of the ninth month is when this Syrian tyrant named Antiochus Epiphanes killed a whole bunch of Jews, defiled the temple, slaughtered a pig on the altar, and it was on the 15th day of the ninth month. Then, of course, ten, two years, 10 days later, on the 25th day of the of the ninth month, two years from then, the, these bad guys are kicked out. The temple is cleaned up and rededicated. And, of course, we call this Hanukkah. Right. And that's a date that's associated with Yeshua's conception. Mm. That's the of the world, the Festival of Lights. Mm. So, basically, if I'm the Magi and I'm waiting for my Messiah and I've tracked I know the first two signs are saying he's coming from the Jewish people. But the third one is for a day of disaster, a day of war and murder and horrible things. Right. And it's also now the rainy season. 
You know, you don't want to travel 660 miles during the rainy season if you're worried you're coming into a time of war. So this is why the Magi, I believe, why they say, let's start our preparations. Something big is going down, but we're not going to leave just yet. They're going to wait for the weather to improve, and they're going to wait for the conditions on the ground, politically speaking, to improve before they go. Right. And basically, since we're talking about highlights, the star Jupiter disappears behind the sun, as I said. So he's not been born yet. And the moment that Jupiter, sort of right before dawn, it's very dramatic, comes up and goes past the sun and then turns around and goes in the least expected direction, west. Mm. That's... So, okay, the king has been born. The king has been born and he's going this way. So this is why it's so important that the Magi say, not where will the Messiah be born, but where is the, the, he who is the king of the Jews? Because we have seen his star and we have come to worship him. So, so they, the birth has already happened while they're talking to Herod. Another detail that often gets overlooked. Right. Okay. Right. And so it's it's putting together a like a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle, uh, and and put and only and not forcing these pieces to fit, but to not proclaim anything until they do. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting, and yeah, I mean I I wrote all those dates and down and and I love how even understanding what Jupiter and Saturn stand for, because we know like our days of the week have been, you know, after Roman gods and, and whatnot, but to hear the Hebrew side of that and like, you know, Jupiter is well, and, and even I remember teaching my kids about the planets, you know, and, and Jupiter was the King planet. So that's always been known that it was the king planet because it was the largest planet in our solar system. Right. And you have to bear in mind that the message was not for the Jews. Right. The Jews didn't do a whole lot of advanced astronomy. The message was for the nations. Yeah. God is telling the nations, my son is coming, right? He's coming real, real soon. And let me have Jupiter point the route that you have to go Mm. to see him. Right. We can sort of say, well, that's a pagan thing. That's astrology. That's this, that's that. Um, but the thing is, there is kosher astronomy. In there, mm-hmm. And it is not its fault that pagans came later and messed it up and turned them into gods. Exactly. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'll give you two. One is in Genesis 15 where Abraham is commanded to count the stars. If you are able to do so, so will your descendants be. That word for count, sefar, means to write down, classify, name, reckon, and account for. Mm -hmm. So that's what Abraham is doing to the stars, because that will tell him about how numerous his, his, his offspring are going to be. So that's kosher, right? The other example is with Joseph. Remember, Joseph keeps having these dreams before he gets taken into slavery. And in one of the, in the second dream, what he says is, I saw the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to me. Mm -hmm. And Jacob is like, so you're saying that I... Your mother, well, she's dead by this time, but, you know, just invoking. So me, Rachel, and the rest of the kids here are going to bow down and worship you. And the answer was, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Uh, and and right. so the thing is, each one of Joseph's brothers is one of the 11 stars that are now bowing down. And Joseph himself is a star. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't see himself. He's looking at all these others that are bowing down to him. Right? right. And Jacob, right. who gives the meaning of the vision. We have a reference in Numbers, a star will come out of Jacob. Mm-hmm. Our son is therefore representing Jacob. 
moon, mm-hmm. Rachel, because a full moon radiance is compared to a beautiful woman's skin in the Song of Songs. And so, you know, Rachel, she's a full moon gal, you know, she, she, she's really yeah. cute and everything. And then the 11 stars, the brothers, and then Joseph also being a star. And so this is a calendar clue of how the stars help bring in the seasons because the other dream Joseph had was about the sheaves of wheat bowing down. So it's like this agricultural season has this star pattern that is, that is impacting it. Mm. And the fact of the matter is you needed the stars to tell you when to seed, to tell you when to plant. And if the, the, uh, the people of Israel did not know, unlike every pagan nation, around them on every side that you need to observe the stars to know when to seed, know when to harvest the stupidest people in the Middle East. And I don't think they're, they are, you see. So there had to be a kosher way to use this stuff for navigation or for seeding and for harvest. And it's actually in the word of God. Right. And even Genesis, the fourth day. Yeah. You know, of creation that he tells us that the lights in the heavens, the moon, the stars, uh, they will be used for signs and seasons and days and, and years. The Moedim, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, like I said, they had to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's talk about Adam for half a second. Adam, he he's born as an adult. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't get raised in, in you know, as a baby in his house. He doesn't go to school. He doesn't learn a trade. There's nobody there. So the only way, and then he's told, I want you to see that place of green stuff over there. I want you to live there. I want you to classify everything. Um, Tell me the names of the animals and the birds and stuff. I want you to tend the garden and keep it. Well, how's he going to do that? Unless God, Yahweh, downloaded into Adam, to use a modern term, all the stuff that he would have to know to track the seasons. And part of that is going to be understanding, hey, when you see this group of stars called the Pleiades, and they kind of look like a shovel, and you don't see the Pleiades because it's set late in the afternoon, that means it's spring. (laughs) Shovel has gone gone under the earth. This means it's time for you to take your shovel and, and put it into the earth. And every wow. single yeah. culture of the Middle East got this. China got this also. India got this. They go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the star of spring. That tells me when vernal equinox has come. Right. So, that's really cool. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. But you also, like you said earlier, you you also looked at it through scripture. Yes, of course. So, Always scripture first. Yes. So, um, and I, I was explaining to you, like in my Hebrew class, this, it just, it started in October, but we decided to go through Luke. And so that's what we're doing. And so in the first chapter of Luke, we followed some of the cross references and went back to some of the books that talk about the service cycle of the priest. Yes. So, and why that was significant yes. to understand with the first chapter of Luke. Yeah. Because Zechariah was a priest. So you want to kind of explain that a little bit? So I'll try to do it in a, as compact. This is one of the topics that you may want more of. This is what we were talking about. Okay. This is a really huge story. Um, and I will tell you that uh, this is what I call a go and check vision. I would not have found this. If Father Yah had not commanded me to look for it. Mm. And I would get these from time to time. It's like four in the morning, I'm sleeping. I wake up out of a dead sleep. Andrew, go and check. Then I'd be like, Andrew, go back to bed. And the way I knew that it was him was that if I only got two hours of sleep that night, I had no fatigue whatsoever. I I had a great day because he's like, you obeyed me. Yeah, supernatural energy. So I have to give God, Yahweh, all the credit for what I'm about to explain. If he hadn't done that, there's no way Andrew Gabriel Roth uh, would have have figured this out. 
but it is necessarily scripture based. So mm-hmm. If you go to Joshua four, what you find is this very curious incident. There's a series of incidents. For one thing, the Jordan River parts like the Sea of Reeds did. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for another thing, it does this on during the first month of Abib on the 10th day, which for those keeping score at home is four days before Passover, four to five days before Passover. So you get this parting of the waters and you get the timing being very close to when Moses did it. And this is a clue. Now, there's a, there's a curious thing that while the part, waters were parted, four priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the midst of the water and that they set a, a circle of 12 stones. Gee, I wonder what that is. Maybe it's the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is where calendar clues come in. And this is all him showing this to me. Uh, now, when I say this, this is going to make sense. I think it will. But the challenge is to think of it the first time. Because you just see these details and they just sort of wash over you. Mm-hmm. It me. Usually, anytime you're talking about gold, it's about the sun. And anytime you're talking about silver, it's about the moon. Gee, oh. How would that work? Where would I get that idea from? Because uh, one looks like the sun and one looks like the moon. Now, you got four priests. And the priests represent the four seasons of the year. And they're carrying a golden box with two angels on top whose wings are like this. I don't know, golden things like this kind of looks like the rays of the sun. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right, yes. So the four people that are carrying it are winter, spring, summer, and fall. And then that you get the 12 stones. Before I get to the 12 stones, one of the things that I realized, and this may be a little bit challenging, but I'll throw it out there anyway so people can think about it. The ark is held by two binding poles, right? One that is in the front. Now, the the box is lengthwise. The box lengthwise, and you have a, a rod that is out in front, and a rod that is out in the back. I believe those rods represent the two turns of the year that are in scripture, the start of spring and the start of fall. And of course, we have a technical name for that now. Mm-hmm. So one, the, the, the binding pole that's facing you in the front of the ark is going to the back is start of spring to start of fall. And then it reverses course and goes from the start of fall back to the front, the start of spring. So this is a calendar mechanism that I'm trying to explain, that you have a solar code, gold Ark of the Covenant. You have four seasons, four priests, and you have dividing up the year front to back, spring to fall, back to front, fall to spring. So what are the 12 stones? Yes, they are the 12 tribes, but they are also 12 solar years. Hmm. Okay. And so from this image, the rules of the priestly calendar were revealed to me. Okay. Um, Basically, what happens is you have 24 divisions of priests, right? And they serve Sabbath to Sabbath. They change on Friday afternoon. Right? Right. Now, you've got 52, 53 weeks out of the year. So that means any one course is going to only serve probably two, maybe three times a year, except if there is a great feast. If you have Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles, the scripture very clearly says, Everybody serves. All 24 divisions are on duty because everyone's coming to Jerusalem. You, you got help. One twenty-fourth of your number is not going to be able to do those sacrifices that are required. So what basically happens at this point is this rule that when you have, you, so you have 24 priests, 24 divisions s- serving seven days. So you would, you literally have a 24-7 
operation. You, you see, you see where I derived that from. Yes. And what what the math showed me was that if you simply um, run from the Friday on or after spring equinox, and that's course one, what would happen is it would it would uh, cycle from one to twenty four back to one, right? And and every and when a great feast happens, the course that was scheduled would get the credit for that. And we just go one to 24 back to one. And when that happened and you completed 12 years, you would have what I call the hard reset. The hard reset means no matter what course was on duty at the end of the 12th year, course one must return on the Friday on or after the start of spring. Uh, which is Friday on or after vernal equinox. Now people go, that's kind of heady. That's kind of you know deep, Andrew. Yeah, I know. I get that a lot. But but here's here's the point. With those rules, I was able to prove some rabbinic tradition that it was right. And nobody else could do it unless they followed these exact rules. Okay? And basically the rabbis have a tradition that course one, the first priestly course of 24, which is the most important of the 24 divisions that were set up by David, course one was on duty when the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple in 586 BCE, and course one was also on duty when the Romans destroyed the second temple in 70 AD. That's the tradition. If you follow these rules that I just outlined, I want you to think about this. I had to hit the right week with the right priestly course for the first time 800 years in advance. And if I'm off by one in either direction, then the calendar is wrong. In these rules, I hit those, uh, I hit I hit the course one on duty when the first temple and when the second temple was destroyed. That is a multiple billion to one shot that be able to do that. But it's not me who did it. Yahweh gave me the vision and told me to go and check, go and write it down. Then I had my, my science advisor program the necessary formulas in a spreadsheet. And I still have the spreadsheet. So if anyone wants to know if there's real math involved, I, I'll let you check it, you know? Yeah. I mean, you may have to come to my house, but, but <laughs> this is like super important material. But but the point is, I have the mathematical certainty of proof that that works. Now, people will say, you know, if it didn't work, then no reason to listen to me. If I didn't hit both of those dates, don't listen to me. And I know that there are people who will simply say, well, you may have had, you may have hit it, but maybe you're still wrong. But I think that's a harder argument for my opponents to do. You mm -hmm. see what I mean? Yeah. And so this is what I call the gospel of the cell phone in terms of proving things from the word. I don't think about the science behind my cell phone. Okay. But if it rings, I know it works. If I get my email, I know it works. Do I have to know the science? No. Do I have to know the guy who built it? No. Right. But if it didn't work, then it would prove those theories behind the cell phone wrong. Same thing here. Yeah. So I know I, I'm sorry for the mind trip that I just <laughs> inflicted on you. But that in a nutshell is understanding what I, what, what I call the earthly priestly calendar. There is a heavenly version too that follows different rules. And that's, an, that's sort of outside the scope of our talk. Mm -hmm. But you basically have determined with that material when Zechariah would have been his, his cycle, his rotation. It, yes, in, in the priestly calendar. Mm -hmm. What's remarkable about that is if I'm trying... I'm the first, first and foremost, we look at the scripture. 
The scripture tells us that Zechariah was burning incense in the temple 15 months before the birth. It's very easy that there's a six-month gap between Elizabeth's birth, Elizabeth's conception, and Mary's conception. Six plus nine, 15 months. And I also have the exact date of the birth. Right. Okay. So those two data points. Now, how am I going to know what 15 months was? Well, it's a lunar calendar that is balanced to the solar year. Right. And so what happens is the lunar month will typically alternate between 30 and 29 days. Now, I, there's, I know there's going to be someone out there that says they don't always alternate between 30 and 29 days. Yes, I know. But what ends up happening is if you have a whole bunch of months, the averages will even out. So you mm-hmm. have two back-to-back 30-day months, but then you'll have two back-to-back 29-day months, and the total is the same. The larger the data stream the more accurate going 30, 29, 30, 29 is going to be. And so basically, since I knew the birth, I, I, I could find out when nine months previous Yeshua was conceived. And when I did that, very long story short, it came out that the fifth night of Hanukkah, the exact midpoint of the eight-day feast of Hanukkah, is when Yeshua had to have been conceived. So the light of the world conceived in the midst of the festival of lights. Now, I, I won't do this, but you've seen um, a Hanukkah, right? Which mm-hmm. for Hanukkah, uh, which is not quite a menorah. Menorah has seven branches. Hanukkah has nine. But if you look at any Hanukkah, what you're going to find is that whether you count it right to left or left to right, you will end up in the center on the fifth candle. The fifth candle is always larger than the mm-hmm. ones that are around it. So actually, my wife, Jay, behind the scenes here, very, very kindly brought us this. Take a look at this. So I can go one, two, three, four, five. And you see this is bigger. Or I can do one, two, three, four, five. And this candle is the servant candle. That's what it's called. Yeshua is the servant, the shamash. And in Hanukkah, this candle lights all the other candles. Okay? So then when you go into the book of Revelation, right, see that Yeshua says, that the candlesticks, right? They're not candlesticks. Right. <laughs> they're not right. candelabras. They're this. Yeah. Okay. And he tells the seven churches, if you don't behave, if you don't wise up, I'm going to take your light away. Mm-hmm. So here you have on this eighth day feast of, of Hanukkah, that in the middle of the festival light of lights, the light of the world is conceived. He will then be born on the first night of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also an eight-day feast, right? John, in his gospel, says that Jesus tabernacled with us. You think that's a clue? Just just maybe a little bit of a hint, right? Which means that eight days later, which would, depending upon who you talk to, would either be the last day of Sukkot or the what we call Simchat Torah, which is the day after Sukkot. Uh, Simchat Torah means rejoicing in the Torah, rejoicing in the law. And that would be when the Messiah was circumcised. Okay. And then when does he die? He's bread, right? Mm-hmm. So, he, yeah, so Yeshua is intimately connected to the three eight-day feasts of the Jewish people. Mm. And it's also significant that eight times three is 24, representing a scriptural day, 24 hours in the day. When all that is played out, we have a new day of freedom. We have a new day of salvation. We have a new day of self, of rejoicing because the Savior has come. You know, just like, you know, joy to the world, you know, let earth receive her king. How earth received her king. 
And when Yeshua um, talks, says, I come in my father's name, the stuff that we're talking about proves what he means. Because when I added up all the celestial events, and of course, we don't have time to go into all of them. The number of events from the start of the triple conjunction in 7 BC to the final, final sign of a conjunction of Jupiter and Venus, I think in 2 BC or so, that added up to 26. Now people go, so what? Well, 26 in Hebrew, as you know, the letters are numbers. The four-letter name of Yahweh is Y-H-W-H. So the Y is the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it represents, wait for it, 10. Then the Hey is the fifth letter of the alphabet. So it's five. The Wa, which is mostly a W, but sometimes a V, represents six, because the sixth letter. And then you have a second H that represents the number five. So 10, five, six, five, the name of the father, Y-H-W-H, adds up to 26. Right. So when Yeshua says, I come in my father's name, he literally did. Through 26 signs that occurred two years before the birth and three years after. Wow. To tell the whole story of the conception and the birth of the Messiah, the flight into Egypt, the return to Galilee are all covered under these heavenly signs. Wow. It's an amazing story. Amazing. Yeah. So. And you did have an actual specific date that you put that at. uh, So. Yeah. By BCE. Yeah, I have the date of the birth of the Messiah, according to this system is Friday, September 13th in 5 BCE. That is the one day that all the math and all the signs point to. It cannot be any other day. Mm -hmm. And so that is the first night of Sukkot in the year 5 BCE. And, and, And yes, because that massive lunar eclipse happened on the last day of my range, I, I felt comfortable proclaiming that as, an, as a matter of faith, mm-hmm. as a matter of math and astronomy and history, that that had to be the, the, the birth the birth time. I could not imagine that Yeshua's birth in the five-day period would be on one of the four nights where nothing special happened. Right. So is it, right. is it a little bit of an assumption? Yes, yes, it kind of is. Can I prove it 100%? Mm, maybe not. But faith is the knowledge of that which is unseen and incomplete. So, mm-hmm. so my faith and my work got us this far. This area, mm-hmm. I can get you right up the, uh, you know, uh, almost the whole way. You have to decide yeah. if you're going to take that last step and say, Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. This is when he's born. Amen. Yes, that's very cool. Very cool. Lots of good information. And again, his video series on um, his website, which is One Faith, One People. But it's One Faith, One People Ministries with an S uh, dot com. They have any more questions, they can contact you through your website. And I encourage people to go and and look at those videos, that video series, because uh, you'll learn a whole lot more, a lot more detail than he could go into right. here. But, um, but yeah, I appreciate it. And you even go into the Roman history yes. that's in Luke with the, yeah, yeah all of that that we just don't have yeah, time but, to go but into. But proving so. that Luke basically is not getting the wrong census. He is not 10 years off in his calculation. He is not confused. He actually refers to both censuses and lists four differences between the two censuses that he talks about. All of these teachings, I should mention this just very briefly about One Faith, One People Ministries.com. The two-part Star at Bethlehem video, totally free. The, the sequel, the top 12 myth conceptions, instead of misconceptions, about Luke and Quirinius, guess what? Also free. 
I got a video on Passion Week, mm. you know, uh, to, to finally clear up this. Is it one and a half days? Is it three days, three nights? I give you what I believe is the most definitive answer possible. Free. I have a full temp- temple teaching, also free. What we, what we, but our ministry also depends on folks supporting us with weekly Bible study, in-depth, fresh video content of three to four hours, maybe, you know, on average, with notes that can be like 30 to 40 pages long to really get you deep and audios uh, to go along with the videos if you want to listen in your car. And for annual subscription, it's $69.95. So, so you're basically engaging me as, as sort of your Bible consultant for a buck a week. Okay. A buck and change mm-hmm. a week for the year. And if you want to just sort of test the waters, $9.95 a month. So, so, so that's how we do what we do. We give a lot of free content for people who just need it. Not everybody, you know, has a whole lot of money left at the end of the month. People who want to go deeper and also want to support us when we help other people, because we also go on the road with that money and we we support other people. We went to South Africa a couple of years ago to help the poor there. You know, it it, it all is paying it forward, you know, Uh, and regardless as to how that happens, it's going to be kingdom expanding work or why do it? Right. So, right. So I just wanted to leave your 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 listeners, your viewers with that. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to share all Absolutely. this. Absolutely. My us. pleasure. And we'll do it again. You. you too. We will. Thank you. Thank Stephanie. you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.